Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Well, once again, folks, we greet you for the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950 WTLN in Orlando, and we're always delighted when you join us. Uh, Alan Dempsey does our engineering each weekend. Andrew Herdliska is our producer. And uh, Christine Hoover joins us here in the first half hour from her home in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, Her book is out with Baker Books. It's called From Good to Grace, Letting Go of the Goodness of Gospel. Christine, nice to chat with you. How you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Now, there's a picture on the front cover of a woman. I don't know whether that's you or not, sitting in a sitting in a laundry laundry basket reading a book. Uh, So, so what does that picture have to do with the topic from Good to Grace? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, of course, I don't have anything to do with the cover, but it goes along with the first chapter of my book, where I use an illustration of just what I was thinking as I was doing laundry and putting laundry away and my kids' laundry in their rooms um, and just thinking about my life, mm-hmm. my everyday life, and does it does it really count? Does it add up to something that matters to God? Am I a good mom? Am I a good Christian? Am I a good wife? And kind of thinking through those questions. So I guess the picture goes along with that. Well, we've got nine important uh, topics to get into here, Christine, so I'm... Uh... Eager to do it. So let's start with that first one, Obsessed with Goodness. Uh, Can you expand on that? Sure. Um, The book really comes out of my own wrestling for many years as a Christian with spiritual, what I call spiritual perfectionism, um, of trying to be good for God. And almost like that I was performing for Him, um, like I was on stage under a harsh spotlight performing for Him and trying to move Him, trying to gain his approval and his, you know, smiled that he would delight in me because of what I did for him. And that's, that's the way that I thought I should live as a Christian. I thought that's what it meant to be a Christian. And so really in the first chapter of the book, I talk about my obsession with being good, that I really did. I tried hard to be, to be good for him and to be perfect. And that really led to a lot of uh, struggles in my life of uh, depression of um, fear of vulnerability with other people because I didn't want them to see my weaknesses, that I, that I couldn't be perfect. Um, so it, it, I just kind of go into that of how I see that in my own life, but I also see it in other people and other women. And my husband is a pastor, and so I get to talk to a lot of women. And it seems to be a very common struggle that we, we, we want to be good for God, but we feel that we will never be good enough and that he, he, one day when we get it together that he'll use us finally, um, but but in the meantime, we're really struggling under that weight of spiritual perfectionism. Second topic, Christine, the most important things. What do you write here? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I talk in the, in the second chapter about um, just that really, is, is that what God wants from us? Is that biblical, that He wants us to strive for this goodness and perfection in our own efforts, in our own um, power. And I use the illustration of Mary and Martha and what Jesus said to those women 
um, when he came into their home. And, you know, Martha, we all know the story. Martha is busy working, and she's really she's really trying to dictate to Jesus how he should be honored because he, she comes to him and is mad that her sister's not helping. And she's really kind of saying to him, I want you to be honored by my goodness. I'm trying to serve you, and I'm doing all these things for you, and I, you know, I think this is, you should honor me for that. Um, and really, he says, Mary has chosen correctly. And what she chose was to sit at his feet and to receive from him. And that, that is the most important thing, that God is the leader in our lives. See, I think when we live under spiritual perfectionism, trying to be good, we're the leader of our lives. We're, we're deciding what's right and wrong, what we should do and what, what should honor God. Instead of asking him what, what it honors him. And so really sitting at his feet and receiving from him and learning from him and letting him lead our lives and to produce the, the spiritual growth in our lives that we, when we're living according to the goodness gospel, are trying to produce on, on our own. Now I want you to talk about you can't go back again. Uh, what are you explaining here? Yeah, well, I think what I refer to as the goodness gospel is this belief that we're saved by faith, which we are, but then after that, our sanctification, our spiritual growth is really up to us, and that's what I term the goodness gospel. And so when we do that, we're saying, as a Christian, I received the gift of salvation, but then after that, I set Christ aside, and I live by my own power and my own strength and my own performance. And so when I say we go back, we can't go back again, it's really, it's, really setting aside Christ. And Galatians says it, that we're estranged from Christ. Not that we don't have him and we aren't in, relate, in relationship with him, but we're really muting his power and the Spirit's power in our life because we're, we're doing it all on our own. So that's I kind of go into the, in chapter 3, just the effects of living by the goodness gospel and the things we see in our lives, kind of symptoms of that. A few of them are... Um, wanting to please people, looking to please people and receive validation from others. Um, we see kind of the things that I described in my own life of um, just a lack of power, a lack, and a lack of ability to, to uh, accomplish or fulfill the commands of Scripture. That leads to a lot of um, this internal turmoil. I want you to just talk about receiving His love. That's the next topic, Christine. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and the, the next part I, I go into, kind of the thing I was talking about with Mary and how she sat at Jesus' feet to receive. And I, I, I believe that Scripture is so clear on this is what God has done for us in Christ. So much of the New Testament is our position in Christ, and that God has given us so much. He's been so rich to us in Christ, and it's not just for salvation. It's for our spiritual growth as well. And so in the, in the part two of the book, I go into that of just what are the things that he has won for us in Christ and how do we receive that from him? So I talked about um, specifically about receiving his love and that he, he, I think often about my own children and what I delight in when I relate with them. I love when they receive um, what I've given them, what I've, maybe a gift that I've chosen for them that is so, I just think will be perfect fit for them. They're going to love it. And I love when they receive that gift and they delight in it. And, and so I talk about how, um, but that, how, that's how God is with us. He has gone to 
great lengths to give us the greatest gift. And so he really uh, wants us to receive that with delight, not to feel that we're not worthy of it, with that, oh, you know, he can't forgive me of what I've done, but to receive it by faith and enjoy it and enjoy him. How about receiving his help? Mm-hmm. That's, well, the ne- that's the next topic. Yes, and that's one of my favorite favorite chapters in the book, if you can say that about your own book, um, because it talks about the resource he's given us in the Holy Spirit. And I love what Jesus says, and when he is about to be crucified, he tells the disciples, it's better for me to go away, because then the Helper will come. And I find that so fascinating, because if I'm standing there with Jesus himself, I'm thinking, that's the greatest thing ever. You know, I don't want him to go away. But he says, the helper is even better because it's God living inside of us. And that's the resource we've been given to live the Christian life. And so receiving his help is really just depending on the Holy Spirit and receiving his help each day. And so in that chapter, I just kind of go into who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role in the Christian life? And how can, instead of depending on ourselves and being self-sufficient and thinking that we can live the Christian life on our own, um, is learning to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit and knowing his, how he moves, how he acts, how he speaks to us through Scripture, and learning his voice so we can depend on him. Christine Hoover is with us from Charlottesville, Virginia, beautiful Charlottesville. Uh, we're talking about her book, From Good to Grace, Letting Go of the Goodness Gospel. Uh, Baker Books uh, produced this book, and it's uh, very, very interesting. We're going to have another segment with Christine, who is a pastor's wife, by the way. She's a mother. She's a speaker, uh, the author of The Church Planting Wife, and uh, her latest book is out. It's called From Good to Grace. Uh, I'm Pat Williams, your host for the Power Hour. We do this show every weekend on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Uh, More with Christine Hoover right after this. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. This just in, death, destruction, and violence. Film at 11. Come on, is all the news really bad? How about some good news in your daily routine? You'll find it when you log on to Christianity.com. They've got great devotionals, terrific Bible study tools, quizzes, and links to the day's most inspiring stories from around the web. Get good news every day when you set your homepage to Christianity.com. Make a difference in your Internet life. Christianity.com. Tired of dentures that slip? Fed up with the gooey adhesives? <laughs> the taste and the mess? Yuck. Maybe you don't wear dentures, but you have a few teeth that are in need of replacing. Let me guess, the expense is holding you back, right? Well, we have your solution, Half Price Dental Implants. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on Half Price Dental Implants. No gimmicks, no tricks, just fine quality implants so you can have the smile you've always wanted. And for half the price, hurry, this offer will go fast. Log on now at AmazingRadioDeals.com for Half Price Dental Implants. You want to feel connected, informed, included, inspired. So when important things happen, we're here. Your local radio and TV broadcasters. America's number one source for news, weather, and information on your radio, TV, computer, tablet, and smartphone. We are broadcasters. Always here for you, wherever here may be. Tell Washington local stations matter by texting radio to 52886. Furnished by NAB in this station, message and data rates may apply. 
Watch good, clean comedy videos from today's most popular comedians anytime you want at GodTube.com, your place for family entertainment and laughs. It's the all-new GodTube.com. Things are heating up at AmazingRadioDeals.com because now half-price cooling is available. Go to AmazingRadioDeals.com to get all the details. No games, no kidding, half-price cooling. Available right now at AmazingRadioDeals.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Christine Hoover is with us from uh, her home in Charlottesville, Virginia. We're talking about their book, her latest book, From Good to Grace, Letting Go of the Goodness Gospel. Uh, Christine, I want you to talk about uh, this topic, receiving his freedom, you call it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I think another thing that, you know, Christ profiting us and, and, um, receiving what God has, has won for us in Christ is the free is freedom. It's freedom from these self-made standards that, that I place on myself, that we place on ourselves. It's freedom from ourselves and our sin. It's freedom from the fear of man. Um, it's freedom from comparison with other people and competition and really just fear, fear that, that results from living under the goodness gospel because we fear that we're not enough. We fear that we're not loved. And and the gospel says that we are loved, that we are holy and righteous because of Christ. And so, uh, um, you know, part of receiving from God is receiving these things and living as, as if they're true because they are, um, that, that we are no longer orphans. And that's one of my favorite word pictures for what Christ has won for us is that he has redeemed us um, from slave, slavery to sin and brought us to into the family as an adopted child. And to me, that's so helpful to think of that. My identity is as a beloved, beloved child who has my father's ear, and I, I, I have an intimate relationship with him, and I'm no longer an orphan who has to be self-sufficient and take care of myself and, and look for love and hope I will be loved. And that's how I live for so long, is a, is a poor orphan who was on my own. And so receiving his freedom is freedom from sin and being bought into, brought into a family where I'm loved um, and secure and safe, where I can, I can release my fears and my, and deal with my sin in, in, in the presence of my loving father. How about love shows? You write a whole chapter on that. Mm-hmm. Well, and so once we once we re- learn to receive what God has given us, and I think that's a process where I'm always working through, um, but it begins to work in our lives. And I think for so long I was so afraid to release myself to the love and grace of God because then I felt almost like I had to keep these parameters around myself of what's right, what's wrong, and to be to make myself be obedient to him. But my motivation was not um, something that would help me help lasting obedience. And what I mean by that is I was in charge of my change. I had to um, change my heart, which I can't do. And I had to change my behavior in order to fill the commands of scripture. But really when we receive God's love, it becomes a catalyst 
and a, a, motiv- a correct motivation for obedience. And it, it works itself out in our lives. And what I mean by that is Second Corinthians 5, it says that the love of God compels us. It's an active, compelling love that when we receive it, it sinks in, and we, we then want to love God. We want to love others because we know how much we have been loved, how much we've been forgiven. And so love shows is just meaning that God's love will compel us toward obedience, toward righteousness, toward love, loving others, loving God by loving others. Um, so, and I, I have found that to be true, and I, that it does work because God's love does work in us that way. Because, um, you know, maybe he started teaching me a lot of this maybe 15 years ago, and I have seen so much change in my life, not that I have made, but that he has made as I have learned to accept his love and his grace for me. It's changed me, and it's caused me to love others in a, in a different way. I used to be pretty judgmental of people um, because I had standards for myself, but also had standards for others. And um, if they didn't meet my standards, I didn't have any grace. I didn't have any love to give them because I didn't have it myself. So it's really changed how I relate to God and how I relate to other people. How about this topic, Christine, that you get into? Giving grace. Mm-hmm. What's that mean? Giving grace. Um, in that chapter, I talk about how once we receive grace, we are able to look at people differently and not expect them to be just like us. And so in that chapter, I talk, talk a lot about just how God creates creates us, uh, the church, to be a unified group of people, unified around Him and around His love and grace. But then within that, He allows for differences. And I'm not talking about um, right or wrong, black and white. I'm talking about the gifts that we have that we use to worship Him and love Him and serve people. And so, you know, I think this is a difficult topic for women a lot, a lot of times because we we so compare ourselves with each other, especially if we're living under the goodness gospel, trying so hard to be good at being a mom and a wife and all those things, that it, we find it difficult sometimes when women in the church are different than us or choose things differently than us or have different gifts. Um, and so, but when we receive God's grace for us, we begin to notice other people around us in a different way, not comparing ourselves, but rejoicing in who God has made them. And we're able to champion them and their gifts and be okay with the differences. Um, so that's what that chapter is about. And uh, now we got to talk about We Hope. Mm-hmm. Yes, We Hope. So in, in the last chapter, uh, I talk about hope and how the gospel of grace gives us so much hope, not just for the present day, but for our future um, in heaven. And so I talked in there about my son who has autism and how he, when he was diagnosed with autism, I really began to learn so much more about the gospel of grace because there was nothing that I could do to change that circumstance. And before living under the goodness gospel, I would try to control and change everything because I believed that I had the power to do that and that in certain situations I was supposed to be doing that. But with him... I recognize I really have no power to to change the circumstance, and I have no power to help him um, grow and understand things, especially spiritually. 
Um, and so God really began to show me that I had so many false hopes that my hope wasn't in him in certain ways. It was in myself. It was in my own ability. Uh, but really understanding the gospel shows us and helps us to know that God ultimately has the power and authority to change hearts and to change um, and to give us hope that lasts and not is a temporary or numbing hope. Um, and so I, I think that's ultimately where the gospel leads us is to hope that we are, we are placing our faith in God and our hope in God that will take us into eternity. And that is a lasting, enduring hope, a solid foundation for our life. How is your son doing? He's doing great. He's uh, 11 now, and um, he's taught me so much um, about love and about serving um, and about the gospel. But he's doing great. He is a believer in Christ, which is amazing. I prayed so long that God would do that in his life and help him understand those things. And I, he does, and I'm really thankful for that and for how I've seen him grow. And God has brought people into our lives that have helped him and taught him just imperfect um, for our family and for him. So I've, I just am thankful for him and for who God made him and what he's taught me through my son. Christine Hoover is with us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Her book is called From Good to Grace. Christine, at the end of the book, you write a grace manifesto. Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you do that? What's that about? Well, I just wanted to remind the reader of everything that, that we had gone through in the book, um, and mainly because I think for someone like me who's kind of a, a doer and a spiritual perfectionist, um, my first response to anything that I want to learn or change is to fall back on self-effort and think that, okay, well, I'm going to go and do this now, and I can do it. And so I just wanted to remind the reader, okay, now all these things, you may be thinking about them, and you may want to apply them, but remember, don't fall back on self-effort. Fall back on the grace of God and ask Him to do the work in you and to change you and to show you the truth of the gospel. And so I wrote the Grace Manifesto just as a kind of reminder of everything we learned, but also, you know, Remember, it's by grace and not by your own works. It's by the Spirit's power and not by your own power to change. Christine, how about a word uh, to women? Uh, We know that society pressures women to be the best of everything, so how can Christian women respond to that pressure uh, in a way that honors God? How how do you respond to that? what, What do you say? Yeah, I think for myself, the question I often go back to when I feel that pressure whether I'm online and I feel pressure from other things I'm seeing or just from being around other women, um, I have to go back to the question, am I being faithful with what God has given me? Because he's given me a very specific place to be where I live. He's given me people. He's given me spiritual gifts. He's given me personality. He's given me circumstances. Those are very specific to me. And so am I being faithful with what he has given me? I'm not, I'm not going to answer for the other person across the street or in my church down the pew. I'm going to answer for me. And that, to me, that's freeing because a lot of times the pressure that, I, that we see online or whatever it is, is, is just all encompassing. I need to be all of these things. 
but but I can't be all of these things. I can only be what God has given me to be, and I'm going to answer to Him for that. And so I want to be faithful. So a lot of times I'll even just pray and ask God, am, am I being faithful? Is this a conviction that you, you're you speaking to me about something? Or am I just kind of falling into this self-condemnation because I don't stack up to everybody else around me or, or I'm doing things differently than them? Show me if, if I'm being faithful. And we can trust that he will convict us of sin. We know that from Scripture. So if, if he wants to convict me, I'm there to listen. Uh, but... The question, just am I being faithful with what God's given me, helps me a lot with that. What's the best part about living in Charlottesville, Virginia? <laughs> well, you mentioned it's beautiful. It is absolutely beautiful. We have four seasons, which I'm originally from Texas, so we don't have four seasons in Texas. Um, so I love, love, love the seasons and watching them change. I love the the waiting for spring to come after such a long winter. And then the city just explodes with, with color and flowers everywhere. So I love that. Um, I love the history of Charlottesville. We live about a mile from Thomas Jefferson's home. And so he's my neighbor. So I love the history and just the people. It's just a great place to live. And we love um, the people that God has brought to our church that we planted here. It's just been a great place to live. What's the spiritual climate of Charlottesville? Well, I think the spiritual climate is is fairly dark. Um, mm-hmm. I, I I think there are a lot of opportunities here to it, just for someone who's as a, we planted our church here, and so coming mm-hmm. in, I recognize if we're faithful to live according to scripture, that stands out here, and that's an opportunity. I, I don't see that as a that's not something that bothers me, really. I guess you could say the spiritual climate. I see it as an opportunity, and I, I, I enjoy getting to to relate to people who don't know Christ and don't, and even some people who would consider themselves Christians, not having an idea of what church is or what how what a, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so, I, we've been here seven years now, and it's been really neat to see. God producing fruit in people's lives and seeing them grow, um, but we do have we have a lot of opportunity here um, because there is so much need for the truth of the gospel. So it's good to visit with you, Christine. What's next? Do you have another book in the pipeline? Not yet. I would love to. I'm kind of thinking through ideas, but I don't know yet. Great. Well, I'm so glad we could visit, and uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Christine Hoover has been our guest, uh, talking about her book, From Good to Grace, Letting Go of the Goodness Gospel. Baker Books put the book out. We've got another segment here on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. Stay with us. Just a reminder, this is AM 950 that you're listening to. That's WTLN in Orlando, Florida, booming out across the I-4 corridor. Uh, We'll be right back. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. 
We've been hearing a lot about Uber lately, so we decided to get out there and talk to some actual Uber partners to get our questions answered. Is signing up to drive with Uber really hard? Nope. Signing up with Uber is super easy. It was simple and easy. Okay, but can I drive my own car? Yes, yes, yes. You get to drive your own car. But my roommate doesn't even have a car. Can she drive with Uber? They can help her get a car, too. I wouldn't be able to get a vehicle if it wasn't for Uber. It took me less than six hours to get a car. So you could just sign up and earn money. Sign up, drive, and you make some money. You're saying I can just use the smartphone app to make money whenever I want? Yeah, you just open the app whenever you feel like driving. All I have to do is turn on my phone, hit the road, and I start making money. Are the hours good? I work less hours and I make more money. I'm my own boss now, so I set my own hours. Okay, this all sounds pretty great. What do you think I should do? You need to sign up for Uber. You can make serious life-changing money when you drive with Uber. Get started today at drivewithuber.com. That's drivewithuber.com. Drivewithuber.com. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and attorney Delton Chen. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here on the new 950 WDLN. Wish there was a place to find good, clean, family, safe entertainment? A place with no violence or profanity? Where you can let the kids roam free? That place is the all-new GodTube.com. Watch inspirational videos that'll challenge and motivate. Catch the latest music videos from Christian artists like Jeremy Camp, Hillsong, and Chris Tomlin. And share a laugh with clean comedians like Tim Hawkins, Anita Renfro, and more. All free, 24-7, right in your own home at the simple touch of a button. Visit the new GodTube.com. That's GodTube.com. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Dr. Scott Taransky is with us from Lawrenceville, New Jersey. He and uh, Joanne Miller have uh, written a good book for Thomas Nelson Motivate Your Child, a Christian Parent's Guide to Raising Kids Who Do What They Need to Do Without Being Told. Oh, boy. That sounds like manna from heaven, Scott. <laughs> I'm so glad we can visit. How are you hey, doing? Thanks for having me on. I'm grateful. I love talking to parents and teach parenting seminars every week now around the country. Uh, using this material with folks has really proved to be uh, quite enlightening for many parents, so I'm eager to share that with you folks. Uh, Dr. Scott Taransky is the co-founder of the National Center for Biblical Parenting. Uh, we have, uh, gosh, uh, Scott, you have filled this book. There are 21 different uh, teaching points. So let's get started. Uh, number one, internal versus external motivation. Uh, can you explain that? Well, certainly. I think that many parents today rely on reward punishment techniques to get their kids moving and and to get them doing what they want. The problem with that is that kids uh, often, you know, when you say to kids all the time, hey, I'll give you what you want if you do what I say, uh, like, you know, clean up your room and you can watch a video or 
or uh, finish your homework and you have a friend over, when you do that continually with kids, then kids start asking the wrong questions about life. We're just appealing to their selfishness, so they ask questions like, what's in it for me? Are you going to pay me for that? I mean, it's this whole entitlement mentality that children develop as a result of being raised on reward punishment as the primary way to get kids to do things. We believe there's a whole other way. Uh, and that is to work on the heart of a child. Understanding the heart is very important because that's where internal motivation comes from. If we can help our children be internally motivated, then good things can happen. But here's the problem. Internal motivation includes things like, like emotions and desires. But our kids' emotions and desires get them into trouble. So they're internally motivated to do the wrong things. That's why God has placed something very important inside the human heart called the conscience and room for the Holy Spirit. So that conscience then guides children to do the right thing. Wouldn't it be great if we discovered an internal tool inside of a child's heart that would prompt them so we don't have to be prompting them all the time? Well, that's what this is. God's placed it there. We're just showing parents in this book how to raise the awareness level of that conscience and then to teach children how to take advantage of it and use it to develop maturity, responsibility, and so on in their lives. Parenting requires strategy. What's your thoughts here, Scott? Well, we we want parents to think in terms of um, strategy as opposed to just reacting to the challenges that they face. Many parents, what they think about is, you know, a, a justice mentality. Do this and you get this, either on a punishment side, or do this and I'll give you that, on a, on a reward side, we're saying it's much more about strategy. So what we do is we outline for parents, let's look at your child's heart as if it were a map. And we're moving the child from point A, where the child is now. Maybe he's being disrespectful when you give him instructions, or he's arguing with you when you say no. Or maybe he reacts with anger whenever you correct him. Those are heart problems, tendencies, challenges. And so what we're trying to do is help parents think in terms of strategy. How are we going to move a child from point A, where he is now, to point B, where he needs to be, and then we're going to try to help parents know exactly how to get there. And we're going to do that using some of the internal motivation and stuff that's inside the heart, including the conscience. What is the conscience? Well, the conscience. Now, our study, you have to realize, we're the National Center for Biblical Parenting. When we do study, we, go, we don't go to a psychology textbook. We go to the Bible. And so we're asking the question, what does the Bible say the conscience is? Well, the word conscience is used over 30 times in the New Testament, and then uh, the idea is taught throughout the Bible. And we see from the Scriptures four promptings that the conscience provides, and we look at those passages. One is to do what's right. The second one is to deal with wrongs. The third is to be honest. And the fourth is to care about others. Those are promptings that come from the conscience that help children to be internally motivated. Those are promptings that are there. Now, some of our children don't know what to do with those. And so the training that we provide for parents to help them with their children is exactly what develops that in their lives. So, you know, when they're working with their kids, they're going to teach them how to um, do what's right, for example. Now I want you to talk about helping kids choose to do what's right. All right. So if we're going to help kids choose to do what's right, we're going to let's take, say that we want the child to clean his room. I'm going to give you a practical example of how to mm-hmm. make this work. We're going to use three words, cue, conscience, and character. The cue, the child needs to have a cue that says, okay, I need to think about this. So I say to the child, I want you to develop a cue. Uh, how are you going to remember when you leave your bedroom that you need to do the, the three things that your mom asked you? Clean up the floor, make the bed, and clean off the dresser. Those three things. What are you going to do? What's, I want to know what your signal is to, to remind you of that. That's your cue. 
Then, and so children choose all kinds of things, a little sign by the light switch, a red yarn on the doorknob. And when they see that, it prompts them to consider the next C, which is the conscience, and that conscience is a statement that needs to be made, and that's through the training of parents. We need to define what that looks like. In this case, three things you need to do. Turn around and look and look at at those three things. Is the floor cleaned up, the bed made, and the dresser cleaned off? Those are what I'm asking you to do, and that's what the cue is going to remind you to do. The conscience is now prompting the child because we've defined what it looks like. But the cue doesn't clean the room. The conscience doesn't clean the room. It's the character that cleans the room. And children need to be able to stop, turn around, and do what they need to do and make it happen. That training, then, is going to help parents work with their children because kids are going to have what they need in order to uh, be able to make these decisions on their own. We do the same thing. When a child comes into the, to the house, there's a right way and a wrong way to come into the house. When a child, you can't just drop all your stuff and leave a trail on your way to the kitchen. When a child leaves the table, there's a right way and a wrong way to leave the table. And parents help their kids say, you know, say excuse me when I say yes, you can take your plate, cup, and silverware and put it on the counter. Whatever the right way is, the wrong way is, we're not just talking about morally right here. We're talking about there's a right way to live, a wrong way to live, and we can help children understand what to do so that they can do the right thing. We want them to, to be able to move forward and choose to do what's right, but they're only going to do that through the training, and if parents train in a particular way that appeals to this conscience, wow, we see amazing things happen. We're getting emails now from people. The book's been out for a couple months. We're getting emails back who are saying, wow, I love this because it's helping my kids get ready in the morning, or I really like the way it's helping me work with my child with meanness. Uh, just amazing things when children are prompted internally to do what's right. Of course, they make mistakes sometimes. We have to address those as well. Well, talk about that when kids make mistakes. Scott Taransky, our guest. When, we make, when kids make mistakes, they often don't know how to process the uncomfortable feeling inside that the conscience provides. You and I know what that is. That uncomfortable feeling is guilt. On the, remember on the do what's right side, the uncomfortable feeling is a sense of obligation. We want them to feel that. The conscience provides that sense of obligation. And here when we're dealing with, with uh, wrongs in a child's life or mistakes that kids make, they are prompted by guilt, but they don't know how to deal with it. So kids don't like that uncomfortable feeling, so they try to offload it using all kinds of unhelpful techniques. They blame the problem on other people. They rationalize. They justify. They defend themselves. Sometimes even get angry to protect themselves so you can't correct them. All of that are poor responses to guilt. Children need to know how to respond to the mistakes in life. So we teach them. This chapter is just full of some real practical ideas for parents to work on with their kids so that Kids can learn how to respond to the mistakes they have in life. You know, kids have a hard time with that, and they need help. Sometimes when they, when they don't handle the mistakes well, they resort to other problems that are conscience-related, like dishonesty, for example. We're trying to help kids know how to respond well. Now, Scott, I want you to talk about learning to value integrity. Yeah, that's the, that's the dishonesty that kids experience. And they, we teach parents to help their kids this way. Dishonesty always occurs under pressure. Sometimes that pressure is the pressure to be liked by others, so I exaggerate the story. 
Sometimes the pressure is to get out of trouble, so I might lie. Sometimes the pressure is to get something that I want that I couldn't get otherwise, so I might steal it. Those are all integrity issues. And children need to understand that there's an integrity package that they get when they're honest, and and they lose it when they're dishonest. So reinforcing that whole idea of integrity inside of a child is very important because what it's doing is it's building for them this sense of, of honesty and, and an obligation in that sense to have this internal integrity when they're faced with the challenges of life. They will face challenges in life continually. How are they going to learn how to handle those? Integrity is that third part of the conscience. We've talked about doing what's right. we talked about dealing with wrongs. And then this third part is uh, being honest. That's the third part of the conscience. Compassion is next, Scott. That's Think, right. That's the fourth part of the conscience. Thinking beyond and, oneself. Yeah. Trying to get kids to, to not just think about themselves. Many kids focus on themselves, and they need some, uh, some exposure outside of that. And the conscience is prompting them to do that. We don't believe this is just a, a natural quality that some children have as part of their personality. It's more than that. It, this is something that's deeper inside their hearts, and every child can develop compassion. It's that same feeling that you and I have when we're driving down the road and we see someone hurt, or we, uh, we see someone who's mistreating someone else. We have a sense of compassion inside, and it bothers us. That's the conscience at work. And so when we help children learn how to address the, that prompting inside about the conscience when it comes to compassion, then kids start to care about others. It just takes some work to help children understand that it's there. And, and you know, some kids are stronger in some areas, one area of this than another area. And as we're trying to help them to work on this, we'll take one of the strengths in one area and say, hey, you're really strong in compassion area, for example. But I, sometimes when I give you instructions, you don't seem to follow them well. Uh, I want to talk about that internal prompting you have with compassion. Let's bring that internal prompting over here into the area of doing what's right and talk about how to develop that. So all of this is helpful because it's helping children to have these internal promptings, which are going to build this internal motivation, it's going to produce initiative in kids, and it's going to move them forward. Uh, my guest is Dr. Scott Taransky. Uh, he has put together a book called Motivate Your Child for Thomas Nelson. Uh, how about kids taking initiative? That's a big one, Scott. Well, it is. See, parents want their kids to take initiative. In fact, many morning routines go like this. Parents say to their kids, get your hair combed, brush your teeth, put your dishes in the dishwasher, get your backpack, is your homework in your backpack, where's your coat? And on and on, every morning, parents are prompting their children in the same ways. They say to themselves, why can't my child do this on his own? Why do I have to tell him every time to do the same thing? We do the same things every day. Why? It's because parents are not often training their children to take initiative in these areas. See, kids are very content to obey. Sometimes parents are uh, are saying to a child to do all of these things, and the child says, okay, I'll stop my iPad, I'll go and do this, and then they're back to their iPad waiting for the next instructions. We're saying there's another way to work with kids, a way that's going to draw attention to that internal prompting that a child could have and needs to have in their lives. So when we teach children how to take initiative, whether it's taking initiative to care about someone else by saying to them, look, why don't you sit down here and I want you to think of two kind things you can do for your brother. Now, he's, the child has to think himself. It's got to come out of his own heart instead of parents saying, go in there and read to your brother or go in there and, and uh, you know, do this. We're saying, I want you to think of things. 
Now, we have to train children to take initiative. That's all going to tie into this internal motivation, the conscience, helping kids to know how to make choices that will move them forward in ways that will work. And, and that is one of the ways that's going to prompt them. We're just kind of giving them a vision for going forward. It's not the only way, but it's a key way to get kids to take initiative. What about consequences? Well, okay, that's another way, all right? So we want children to be internally motivated. Consequences are important. They're externals. But we can use consequences in a heart-based approach in a different way than we use them with behavior modification. So in a heart-based approach, we want kids to uh, understand some things about consequences. For example, let me give you an example, a practical example about a consequence. Let's say a child's being disrespectful to mom. Mom says, okay, you're being disrespectful. I'm taking your iPad away for a week. That's a typical behavior modification approach. It sets a time limit. As soon as you do that, you have taken something out of the heart of a child. You've taken the, ho- the hope out of the ho- heart. Why? Why should the child change now? There's no motivation. I just got to endure the consequence for a week, wait, and then I'll get my iPad back. What we're saying is let's use a heart-based approach. Let's leave the ho- hope in there. Let's say to a child, might use the same kind of consequence. Son, I'm taking your iPad away because you're being disrespectful, but I want to give it back to you. And I want you to uh, demonstrate to me that you are cooperating in family life or demonstrate that you're contributing to our home here. And as soon as you are showing me that you're doing the right thing, you're trying to do what's right, I will give you your iPad back. now. Dr. Scott Taransky is with us. We're talking about his fascinating book, Motivate Your Child. Thomas Nelson is the publisher. We've got another segment with Scott, and I want you to stay with us uh, because there's more to discuss. Here on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour, AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Tired of dentures that slip? Fed up with the gooey adhesive? <laughs> the taste and the mess? Yuck. Maybe you don't wear dentures, but you have a few teeth that are in need of replacing. Let me guess, the expense is holding you back, right? Well, we have your solution, half-price dental implants. Just go to AmazingRadioDeals.com and click on half-price dental implants. No gimmicks, no tricks, just fine quality implants so you can have the smile you've always wanted. And for half the price, hurry, this offer will go fast. Log on now at AmazingRadioDeals.com for half-price dental implants. I'm Liz, a student at Hillsdale College. Here is Hillsdale President Larry Arnn on the Legislative Vesting Clause of the Constitution. Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution states, All legislative powers herein granted shall be vested in a Congress of the United States. To the founders, legislative power was the power to make laws that apply to all alike that are clear and easy to understand. The Constitution says all legislative powers... And that means Congress cannot rightfully delegate these powers to some other body. Today, our laws are thousands of pages long. Sometimes rules are tens of thousands, and no one can read them. Congress has abdicated its legislative power to unelected bureaucrats and countless executive agencies. This is a violation of Article 1, Section 1 of the Constitution. This Constitution Minute was brought to you by Hillsdale College. To join the national conversation on the Constitution, go to constitutionminute.com. Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God. You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. 
listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Dr. Scott Taransky is with us from Lawrenceville, New Jersey, co-founder of the National Center for Biblical Parenting, and we're talking about his new book, Motivate Your Child. Scott, putting the conscience to work outside the home, uh, how do we do it? Well, you see, when kids, uh, when we work on this conscience inside of a child, we're helping children rely on the internal promptings that are right there inside. And when kids can rely on those inside our home, we're doing the training necessary for what's going to take out, take place outside the home. We want our kids to be able to do the right thing at school, or we want them to do the right thing when they're at the neighbor's. But choosing to do the right thing requires some internal processing on the part of that child. I'm going to choose to do what's right, even though the challenges are out there that, you know, I'd like to watch this movie that's outside of the values that my parents are saying, but I'm going to say no to that. And when we can work with our children and practice these things on the inside, then good things happen for our kids and when they're out in, in these other places. That's going to take some more training, but it's all about the conscience and looking for strategies to bring that conscience training to bear outside of the home as well. Now I want you to get into some spiritual development in children. Uh, first of all, talk to us about God's plan. Well, I would suggest that God's plan is that parents are the primary spiritual trainers of their kids. Some parents think that they're doing their job of being a spiritual leader by taking their kids to church and sending their kids to Sunday school and enrolling their kids in a Christian school. And all those things are good. But we have to realize that the primary spiritual training of a child is going to take place at home. That's the place where parents are going to be instilling the values in their kids. It's like driver training. There's the, the book work that you take in class, but there's behind-the-wheel experience that children need as well. The way that parents work with their children at home is the behind-the-wheel experience for spiritual development, where children are learning how to manage their money or make decisions or handle temptations or deal with emotions. All of those things happen at home as parents are training their kids and teaching their kids, and it's going to take some time for kids to learn that. We're going to start with, you know, we're going to do spontaneous times. We're also going to plan some some uh, structured times in the home so that parents are able to work with their kids and train them spiritually. Family time, once a week, you write. Well, yeah, and the important thing here is to realize you don't have to do daily devotions with kids necessarily. It's good for kids to be in the Word. That's good. But I would suggest parents have a family time once a week. And this family time is a high-energy, engaging time where parents and children of all ages are together doing something fun and engaging. The, the key element here is to plan something that's going to help these uh, parents, um, help these kids get excited about God's Word. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents did this for me. I learned about Jesus being the light of the world because on, when I was four years old, my dad held a flashlight in the dark in the closet and had a mirror and shined it around and said, we're like Jesus. And then we're like, uh, Jesus is shining on our, the mirrors. We're like the mirrors shining Jesus around. Man, I, I loved that. I fell in love with the Bible at an early age because of the, the family times that my parents had with us. So in that chapter, we really outline how to have a family time that's fun, creative, exciting for parents to work on with their kids. Uh, now talk about relationship is foundational. What does that mean? If we're going to pass our faith onto our children, which is our primary objective as parents, we must have relationship with them. Sometimes the 
busyness of family life and the business of family life puts a tension on the home that diminishes relationship. And so we want to realize that it's through that relationship that we have the vehicle to pass the truths, the convictions onto our kids in ways that they can accept and appreciate. So the relationship's important. We always start there with kids. Let's build relationship because from that, then we can pass on the ideas, the values, the scripture to our kids. And then this topic, scripture plus creativity equals impact. See, I think what we need to do, and what I try to teach parents is that, let's take the teaching techniques of Jesus. Let's use creativity and life experience. That's what Jesus did all the time. He was telling parables continually. He wanted to teach his disciples about uh, being uh, a good neighbor to each other. The man asked him, what is a good neighbor? Jesus tells a story about the good Samaritan, a man who goes out of his way to help someone else. When Jesus wanted to teach the disciples about doing dirty jobs, like we all must do around the house, he takes a towel, puts it around his waist, and washes the disciples' feet. Wow. That's impact. See, creativity and life experience added to Scripture or biblical truths is what makes kids excited, because the language of children is activity. Let's use those things in powerful ways to help our kids get excited about the gospel. We give lots of ideas in the book about how to do that, but our goal is to teach parents to use the teaching techniques of Jesus to pass the faith onto their kids, because it really helps them, kids then, to grab it in practical terms. Scott, talk about practicing faith teaches that it's real. Every time we share a scripture with children or read a Bible story, we must ask the question, what's the lesson learned here? The reason we ask that question is because we want our children to realize that, um, that this is a practical thing we're doing. It's relevant. It's real for our lives. That we want kids to, to recognize that they can put, the practice, put to practice the principles that God has placed in his word into our lives. And by asking that question and then living it out in our lives, kids get this idea and they understand that faith is more than just before bedtime and before mealtimes. This is something that is continually going on in our lives. How are we going to help kids as we try to pass the faith onto them in their various areas of uh, receptivity? Some kids are more receptive than others. So we want to be able to help them at each stage as they are spiritually receptive or even sometimes when they're resistant. And how do you prepare for resistance? When children are resistant to the spiritual training in the home, we have to work around that to try to bypass the barriers. One thing I'm convinced is that the creativity and life experience are key elements that often do that. When kids experience a race around the house to illustrate Hebrews 12, which talks about how we're all running a race with our eyes fixed on Jesus, not entangled by the sin, so easily uh, entangled by that sin around us. Wow, that's a whole different thing than sitting around the table and reading the Bible to them. So I'm convinced activity is one of those things that bypasses resistance. But I would suggest that there are three different categories that we can find children in, and we'll tailor our spiritual training accordingly. Some children are receptive, some are resistant, and some are questioning. In each of those categories, we want to look for ways to go beyond what we see that the children uh, are coming forward with, that resistance or, or questioning, and we're going to look for ways to meet them at their point 
points of interest. And so sometimes it's just modeling it and saying, hey, let me pray for you today, or let me tell you what God's doing in my life. We're making this really real for kids so that kids can understand it and will bypass those roadblocks that may be hindering them from living the life of, of a Christ follower. How do you lead a child to Christ, uh, Scott? How do, you, how do you explain that in your book? We want parents in the book to know what it means to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior as a child. Can a child accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? The answer is yes. And as we're passing the faith on to children, those children come to a place where they realize they need to make a personal decision to accept Jesus Christ into their lives. When they do that, a number of things happen, and we want them to be aware of those things. But knowing how to get to that place is important. So uh, explaining salvation can be complicated, but it's something that Jesus wanted us to know that was very simple. He, in fact, he brought a child in the midst and told us that unless we accept the kingdom like a little child, then we won't see the kingdom of God. And so how can we help our children understand what that looks like? In that chapter, we're explaining to parents what that looks like when they uh, come to that place where the child is ready to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And the next topic is children and the Holy Spirit. You have to ask the question, important question, when do children receive the Holy Spirit? And the answer to the question is when they make a commitment to Jesus Christ. It's so important for children to make a commitment to Christ early in their lives because the Holy Spirit offers tremendous resources and power to overcome the challenges that they face. Can a young child be filled with the Holy Spirit? The answer is yes. The Holy Spirit's present. When does a child receive a a spiritual gift? At the time when they accept Jesus Christ into their lives. They need help knowing how to process it. If you've got a five-year-old as a gift of teaching or leadership, then you've got some challenges you need to work through. That spiritual training is important, and the Holy Spirit... Uh, connected to a child really helps them to uh, engage better. And My guest has been Dr. Scott Taransky talking about his book, Motivate Your Child. Thomas Nelson put it out. We've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. It's AM 950, WTLN in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on the new 950 WTLN. Looking for more than just a job? Searching for a career path with a higher calling? With a company who wants you for your life skills as well as your job skills? Find a career you can believe in. Find your true calling at ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com is the largest Christian employment website with thousands of job listings in the Christian sector. Get connected with outstanding employers that share your values and understand there's more to you than what's in your resume. I've always wanted to focus my energies in the Christian community. Community because, to me, having a career means more than just a paycheck. ChristianJobs.com allowed me to apply all my skills in a meaningful way. Find your true dream job today at ChristianJobs.com. I found not only my dream job, but my calling at ChristianJobs.com. Once you see the long list of quality job opportunities available, you'll never settle for just a job again. Visit ChristianJobs.com. ChristianJobs.com. Listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on the new 950 WTLN. And now, here's Pat. Folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, we always are happy when you plug in here for the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. 
on uh, WTLN in Orlando, that's AM 950. Uh, Christine Hoover was with us in the first half hour talking about from good to grace. And uh, then Dr. Scott Taransky, motivate your child. That was the topic. And uh, so glad that uh, both of those guests were with us. Please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And uh, why don't you check out my latest book? It's called 21 Great Leaders. Uh, It's in bookstores now. We uh, take a look at the 21 leaders we think most impacted our world. And uh, I hope you'll enjoy that book. Uh, In the meantime, enjoy Central Florida. Uh, Enjoy your family. Enjoy church. and, And enjoy life in general. Uh, It's the Pat Williams Weekend Power Hour. We're back next weekend for more on AM 950 WTLN in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this same time on the intersection of faith and reason. The new 950 WTLN.